Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Good morning, everyone. I pray before we start. Lord, please come and use my words today to speak and to build up your body into maturity and unity and love and to be more joined, connected, uh, more in, in union and friendship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're at the part of Ephesians where Paul goes from who you are in Christ to now what do you do with that? We're at the linchpin. Uh, we're at the hinge between the two parts. And um, I wanted to bring in an analogy uh, to, to bring out a whole lot of points in, in, in this uh, part of Scripture. See, God has an awesome big plan for us, for His church, for His people. And when I was a kid, my dad had a plan every Christmas holidays. Sally's smiling already. We, would, we, would, we, we had this dream. Well, dad had this dream. <laughs> And we were going to come to Silver Sands Caravan Park and we were going to have an awesome time as a family. Now, to make this dream become a reality, this vision, there were a whole lot of pieces that had to work together. We had to get a big old uh, trailer and fill it with so much stuff you wouldn't believe and, and connect it to the car and we would come down to Evans Head and we would put up what looked like a circus tent. I swear it was the biggest family tent in the whole Silver Sands Caravan Park. Uh, it was massive. And there were a lot of pieces to it. Probably uh, the most important piece was the tow bar and the part that connected to the trailer. All that had to get down in one piece. The order was important. The car had to go first and they had to stay connected. Now, it's the same with these two parts of this book. The first three chapters, and the last three chapters. The order is important, and they must stay connected. 
who you are in Christ comes before how you live. And it cannot be disconnected. If you disconnect these two, you get a bunch of theology with no practice. Or you get a bunch of moralism with no glory to God, no reference to God, no power of God. And we see both of these in, in our lives, in our society. We all know that studying the scriptures very hard and, and enjoying theology books is no guarantee that you're going to be a godly person, a loving person. Maybe we know people like this. And we know that if you practice morals with no connection to God, it's like this horrible blasphemy. It's like when people say to me, I'm good enough to go to heaven. I keep the commandments. Oh, okay, what about the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your... No, love, love, love God, the first one. You'll have no other God before me. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I don't really believe in organized religion. Well, you haven't kept the first commandment. How are you going to go to heaven? <laughs> and so these two must stay connected because we've been recruited into a team and now we need to live out who that team is. We've been adopted into a family and now we need to act like someone in that family. In, in, my, in every family, there are certain things that uh, characterize your family that you might be proud of or not proud of, whatever. So, like in my family, we're all musical. But we're not musical because we tried really hard to be musical and then we were accepted into the Gill family. It was part of our DNA, right? And it's the same for you. Now that you've been saved, you don't have to earn your way to become God's child. Your DNA has changed. You've legally changed. You are adopted into the family. It's done. It's past tense. It's finished. You are accepted by God the moment you put your faith in Jesus. So now, start living like a child of God. There's no test that says, let's see if you can be enough like a child of God to be accepted into God's family. No. He accepts you as a rebellious teenager adopted in and now, because of what Christ has done for us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we start to walk out this new family name that we have. And I'm sure it's the same for anyone who really is adopted in real life. They have to adjust to their new family, to that new identity. And it's the same for us. But it's so important we get that clear. The car has to pull the, car the, uh, the trailer. The trailer cannot pull the car. You are accepted. You are brought into God's family. You are adopted, predestined, chosen, called. Now, live it out. Not, I've got to try harder. I've got to be better. Maybe then God will accept me. Maybe then I can become a child of God. When my dad took us down on these uh, camping trips, there were two kinds of people that went. There were the Jews, if you like, the people in the Gill family, and there were the Gentiles. There were always ring-ins, always. We'd always have people come and stay with us in that huge tent. How did they get in? There was no test. They had to get permission from my mum and dad, and then they could stay with us. So in a sense, my parents chose them. And while they were in that family, in that tent, they were just as much as part of the family as everyone. They had meals with us. They did all the fishing trips, all the fun things. They hung out doing nothing with us, playing cards, whatever. They were totally included. They were under that tent. And God has a big plan for us. 
It's far better than a camping trip to Silver Sands Caravan Park. Although it was great. His plan is that we would all grow in maturity and unity and become the, the mature body of Christ, the house of God, the family of God. It's a glorious vision. See, it's not just about doing the right thing, being moral. No, we've joined a family. We've joined this awesome club. We've joined this place of belonging and acceptance and meaning. It's the whole reason we've been created, for communion, for union with God. And because of our sin and the sins of our ancestors, we were not allowed to come on the camping trip. But God has paid the price through Jesus so that we can come back, so we can be part of God's plan again. And so God is saying, you didn't earn it. I gave it to you for free. I chose you. Now come and be part of this family and live like someone in this family. Now a really key part of this, uh, this passage, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now this is a characteristic of God's family. So if you join God's family and you're not humble, well, you're not, you're not acting like one of God's children. It doesn't make sense. And straight after that, Paul talks about unity. We need to be unified. We have one Lord, one Savior, one baptism, one spirit. We need to be unified. And there's a link. Because the Bible says wherever you find disunity, Wherever you find factions and groups splitting off, you find greed and pride and envy. But wherever you find unity, the converse is true. You'll find humility. You'll find gentleness. So God wants you to be humble because you're part of his family now, and that's what God is like. Jesus was the most humble of all. And it keeps the unity in the family. It keeps your relationships good. The source of most of your... Happiness is your relationships with God and with people. You need to be humble to come to God, and you need to be humble to maintain your relationships here on earth. And let's face it, our Christian relationships are for eternity, so there's no use holding a grudge. It's going to be a long grudge. And anyway, it's not going to be there in heaven, so you might as well just get over it now. These people in this room that know the Lord Jesus, we're together forever. Isn't that amazing? Eternal. We all want something bigger. We want something eternal. We've got it right here in the church. But we're not, we're not individuals coming together to experience God with no reference of people around us. We're coming together, grown in, in unity and maturity, together as a body. As a body. And what, what, is, what is humility? Why do we need humility? Humility is when you say sorry. And the relationship is repaired. Humility is when you say, I forgive you, and the relationship is repaired. Humility is when you take the suffering for the wrong someone else did, and you just take it, and you don't make a fuss about it. Think of all the suffering and the sin Jesus took on the cross for, because of what we, we did to God. And as we mirror, as Les said, we mirror God's love, we can have the same attitude. Someone has wronged you. What are you going to do? Are you going to go and try to reconcile or are you going to start talking about the person behind their back? 
creating disunity. Humility often looks like losing because you're on the winning team. Humility often looks like weakness because you're on the strong team. And humility often looks like foolishness because you have the wisdom of God. And Jesus on the cross is the ultimate picture of this. He looked so weak to the Jews. And he looked so foolish to the Greeks. But there at the moment on the cross was like the ultimate picture of the wisdom and the power of God. Christ reigning from the cross. His hands nailed to a cross. But it wasn't the nails that kept him there. It was his choice. And when we are humble and meek towards others, it's not because we're forced to and we're powerless. It's because we choose to, because we're reflecting God's love. And I want you to think of relationships in your own life where there's an impasse, where you're at loggerheads, you can't move past. Are you willing to be humble? Are you willing to say, I deserve such and such, I deserve better than this, but when I think of everything God has done for me, the undeserving one, you know what? I forgive them. Forget it. Let's just keep moving on. Let's keep going. I'm not going to go. Enough is enough. We're going to keep going because God had mercy on me. Now, there's a part in this passage uh, which is a bit confusing when you read it. It's up to uh, verse 7. So we've talked about how we are part of this family by grace. We've been called. We didn't choose it. God chose us. It's a free gift. We didn't earn it. So we need to start living like a child of God because he's adopted us. We've talked about what does a child of God live like? Humble gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. We've talked about unity. We need to be unified. And then uh, Paul talks about the gifts that God has given us in Christ. But to each one of us, verse 7, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, is similar to the one I talked about last week, having all the fullness of God in you. You basically become all you can be in God. You reflect as much as you can of Jesus in your life. Christ dwells in you by faith, dwells richly in you. You're a transformed person from the inside out because Christ is living in you. Now, what does this mean, this this reference to uh, going up and coming down and all these things? Well, this refers back to um, one of the Psalms, I think Psalm 68, which talks about uh, King David going up to battle and winning the battle, and the Israelites are praising God because he's given them victory against their enemies. But the picture is this. There's a king goes into battle. He conquers the enemy, and there are all these prisoners of war, and he takes the prisoners of war back, and there's all this these treasures that he takes from the enemy. And then he takes those treasures and he distributes them amongst 
the nation, amongst the Israelite nation. And everyone's like, yeah, our king won. God saved us. Look at all this cool golden duri we got from our enemies. Yeah, look, our, our prisoners of war have come back. Oh, it's so good. Praise God, this is awesome. And the, and the king's like, yeah, yeah, come on. And everyone's so happy and just it's so victorious. That's the picture that Paul is painting of Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven, the victorious king. He came down. He conquered our enemy, the devil, death, sin. He conquered them. And then... He took treasures and he shared them with us. What are these treasures? Well, the first one is the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had to defeat our enemy, fight on our behalf, so that we could have God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit distributes the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul goes through a whole bunch of different gifts there. Some of the gifts are speaking gifts for equipping the church, for building the church up to become more mature. And some of the gifts are serving gifts, like stacking chairs or being generous or hosting people or whatever it is you do. And the main thing is not what is your gift. The bigger question is, are you using your gift? Are you doing what God has made you good at? No one here who is in Christ can say, I don't have any gifts. No, we all have gifts. And I want you to consider four things about your gifts because I've, I felt uh, moved this morning to bring a word of encouragement and a, a word of urging to say, use your gifts in the body of Christ to build us all up. Don't come to church and go, well, I didn't get much out of church today, so I don't think I'll come anymore. But it's not just about you. When you don't come to church, we're all missing out on your gift. See, you're all part of this. When I was a kid on those camping trips with my dad, he was so frustrated with me. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that hates menial labor. I like doing creative things. Luke Parker's the same. I, like, I can go eight hours straight on some creative endeavor. I don't feel tired, hungry, sick, don't need to go to the toilet, nothing. But you make me do some boring manual labor. I'm aware of every second that goes past. <laughs> it's a real struggle. I'll blame it on my personality. It's probably just sinfulness. I don't know. But um, <laughs> we had these boring jobs we had to do to set up the tent. It was a whole day in the hot sun. We had to, we had to get these electric drills and put the floorboards down. Our tent had floorboards. It was serious stuff. And dad was like, you didn't finish that one. <laughs> and then us kids would start fighting and say we're hungry and we're hot. <laughs> and dad was so frustrated because, hey, we all benefited from the dream of having a holiday at Evan's Head. But when it came to setting up the tent, we didn't connect the two at all. <laughs> what about you? Have you connected God's great vision for you in the church with your gift? Or do you think you're not needed? No, every part is needed. The toe is needed. The ear is needed. The nose is needed. Every part. doesn't matter which part you are. You are needed. But are you using your gift? Consider these four things about the gifts that God has given you. Spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about some kind of natural ability, but a supernatural gift that God has given you that you must use. Consider the source of the gift. The gift is from God. He chose it just for you. 
It fits you. It's like a fingerprint gift or a snowflake gift. There's only one that fits you. Nobody has a gift exactly the same as you. So if you don't use yours, we miss out. We all miss out. We get to partner with God. What a privilege. I was lucky to have a father who would want to take me on a camping trip and who would let me be part of that process. But it's even more awesome to partner with God. And I, I don't want to make my heavenly father as frustrated as I made my earthly father by not putting in my two bits. Now, drilling in those nails was frustrating. But when you act out the gift that God has given you, it's actually fulfilling because it's who God's made you to be. Think about something you're really good at. You love doing it. And it blesses other people. It's wonderful. It's this mutual, mutually beneficial thing. You love doing it, the person loves receiving it. It's from God. It's not from you. It's a free gift. So use it. Consider the cost of the gift. Jesus gave you his spirit at the price of his own blood, dying on the cross for you. That's why you have a spiritual gift. That's why you're part of this plan. Your spiritual gift are part of the booties of the war that God won. See, we are the trophy of God held up against the enemy, saying, hey, Satan, look, I won. Look at my church. I won. You can't accuse them anymore. Look, I won. Say all you want. It's too late. I'm interceding on their behalf forever. They're safe. I've adopted them. We're God's trophy. And we need to use our gift to build up the body of Christ. The source, our gift, whatever it is, comes from God. The price, the blood of Christ. Consider the impact of your gift. When you use your spiritual gift, you are building up the body of Christ. You are playing a part in the only plan that matters. In the biggest story in history. See, we all love getting lost in a story. That's why we love going to the movies. We forget about ourselves and we become part of something bigger and we feel better, we feel happy. And that's the same in God's plan. God's directing a movie and he's the main actor. But we're in the cast. If you make yourself the main actor, you'll ruin the movie and you won't enjoy it. God is the main actor. But we're in there and we need to be, play our part. And we love doing it. It's our honor. It's such a joy. It's the most meaningful thing we can do. It's not frustrating work. It's meaningful work with eternal impact. Use your gift and you are partnering with God to build up God's family, to make a tent of God. You are the different parts of the tent. The source, the cost, the impact. And Paul says part of the impact of us using our gifts is that to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people 
in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work, as you do your part, we all do our part. And the last point I want to bring up about gifts um, is from, let me just find it here, 1 Corinthians 3.10. It says... By God's grace, so this is Paul talking about his ministry and, and, and how it fit into God's big plan. By, God's, by the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. You should use your gifts with wisdom, with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So we will receive a reward if we use our gift diligently. We're not risking our salvation by using our gift or not because we are saved by grace. But you will be re rewarded with what, how you use what God has given you. And it's not about who does more or what you do. Use what God has given you. Is your gift serving? Well, don't complain because you're not preaching. Serve. Is your gift giving generously? Well, don't complain because your gift isn't healing. Give generously. Is your gift being a pastor? Then be a pastor. Is your gift being merciful to people? Then do it. Do what God has given you to do with joy, with a humble attitude, because there's going to be a lot of friction as you use it in the church with other people. Keep the unity and use that gift God has given you. Willingly, joyously, cooperate with God's awesome plan. We all want to be part of something bigger. We all want to be on the team. We want to be picked and join the team. You've been picked. God has selected you. He saved you. And now he has something for you to do. It's not like we get saved and then we just sit on the cruise liner just waiting for it to reach the destination. Just, ah, ah wonderful. No, we have things to do. We have meaningful work. And it doesn't mean you give up your day job. For some people it'll mean that. But for most it won't. But it means using as best as you can what God has given you to build up the body of Christ. See, the gift is not for you. That's why Paul says, I would rather speak a thousand words of prophecy than tongues if there's no interpreter. Because tongues without an interpreter 
only edifies the individual. Paul is concerned with edifying the whole church. Your gift is for everyone in the body of Christ that you come in contact with. Use it. Don't be like I was with my dad, refusing to work and be part of the dream, only wanting the benefits and not wanting to be part of the work team. Because this work that God has given you is glorious work. It's not frustrating. It's wonderful. If you want to know what your gift is, ask other people. Say, hey, what am I good at? What do I do that blesses you? And they'll tell you. If you try to figure it out yourself, your false humility or your pride will get in the road and you might get it wrong. Maybe you want to be something you're not. Maybe you don't like what you're good at. Ask other people. God will show you. And we, all using our gifts together, will be built up into what the church is meant to be. See, the secret of the church becoming what it's meant to be is not a better program. It's not different colors on the wall or a different style of music. It's you using your gift to build up the body. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've saved us. Lord, help us to use whatever you've given us to build up the church so that we can be filled with the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name.